Good morning, friends. Welcome to Christ Presbyterian Church. My name's Paul Chihamba, and I'm one of the pastors here on staff. It's great to be with you. If you've never heard the name Hiroshi Fujishige, you're probably not alone. Try saying that five times real fast. Probably never heard of him unless you're an executive at the Disney Corporation, because in Disney, he is legendary, and not in the ways that you might expect. Hiroshi Fujishige was a strawberry farmer in Anaheim, California. That's what he did all of his life. That's what he knew. That's what he wanted to be, a strawberry farmer. But life never turns out quite as simply as we want it to, especially when your 58-acre farm is right across the street from Disneyland, bordered on all three sides by high-rise hotels. Not when Walt Disney and other developers have offered you tens of millions of dollars over the years to give up strawberries and retire. Not when you say no over and over again for decades. When people would ask him about this, uh, he would say, you know, it's all too complicated for me. It's just too big for me to understand. If I, if I had more schooling, maybe I might understand all of the deals that they were talking about here, but... but I don't know. I just don't understand that. And he held out until the day he died. They call him the Dean of Disney Holdouts. A hero to some, a pain in the backside to Disney and others. Side note, his kids on the day he died cashed in $50 million. Speaking of a royal pain in the backside, this takes us to our text for today. Here we are in this series called Hidden Gems, where we're uncovering these biblical truths, these hidden treasures, these forgotten treasures tucked away in the, the books of First and Second Kings. It really should be called Kings and Prophets, I think, because it's, it's as much about the kings as it was about the prophets who, who either helped them to succeed or, or pointed out their flaws. Last week, Lee introduced us to the very uh, interesting, poignant, uh, and intriguing story of Ahab, King Ahab, a conflicted relationship that he had with, with uh, Elijah. Ahab was a complicated man. He was smart. He was strategic. He was, he was uh, brave much of the time. And yet he had all kinds of problems. And I'm just going to focus on one of those problems today. And that is the problem that I, I want to call the, the grass is greener on the other side syndrome. Or the if only syndrome. And so today we read from Kings, 1 Kings chapter 21. You can read along, follow along on your, in your pew Bibles or, or on the screens. So sometime later there was an incident involving a vineyard belonging to Naboth, the Jezreelite. The vineyard was in Jezreel close to the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Ahab said to Naboth, let me have your vineyard for use as a vegetable garden, since it's close to my palace. In exchange, I'll give you a better vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll pay you whatever it's worth, $50 million. But Naboth replied, the Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my ancestors. So Ahab went home, sullen, angry, because Nahab the Jezreelite said, I will not give you the inheritance of my ancestors. He lay on his bed, sulking, and refused to eat. 
His wife Jezebel came in and asked him, Why are you so sullen? Why won't you eat? He answered, It's because I said to Naboth, the Jezreelite, Sell me your vineyard, or if you prefer, I'll give you another vineyard in its place. But he said to me, I will not give you my vineyard. Jezebel, his wife, said, Is this how you act as king over Israel? Get up, eat, cheer up. I will get you that vineyard. You know, I have this love-hate relationship with stuff, with, with material things. Maybe it's my Congolese heritage, or maybe that's just my excuse. I don't know. But I have this, a hard time getting rid of things, getting rid of stuff. Recently, I, I was looking at this uh, shirt in my closet, you know, this, this red button-up shirt that I, that I just love. I've, I've loved it for as long as I've had it. I think probably about five years or so. That's, at least that's what I was thinking. My wife uh, finally comes up to me one day after seeing me wearing it over and over again. She says, Paul, I, I just hate to break the news to you, but that shirt has been out of style for at least 15 years. <laughs> well, and I argued that point because I didn't think I had it that long, five years max. But then I was going through these old pictures. You know how you do that sometimes, go through these pictures. And, um, well, I, I, I stumbled on this one picture here. Um, and that is, <laughs> what, maybe a five-year-old picture, you know? And I said, see... This is, uh, this is the shirt that I got five years ago. And then, and then I realized when uh, we found the other picture, this is my 23-year-old son, Jacob. So, okay, she made her point. Let's move on, right? <sighs> anyway, I hate when she's right. Well, you know, some people uh, call me a hoarder. You know, I, I think that Andrea is the opposite. I think she's a serial... Perjure, you know, if something hasn't been used for three months, she, she tags it for sale at Goodwill, or if she thinks she can make enough money, she'll sell it on eBay. I, I, I don't have definitive proof on this, but I think that she's gotten rid of a lot of my stuff that way. <laughs> but here's my problem. Here's my problem. I want to hold on to stuff. I want to hold on to the old stuff that I have, but I also like getting my hands on new stuff. And for me, it's not just about the new iPhone or the new iPad. It has to be the 128 gigabyte iPad Air with Retina display. I, you know, I'm not even sure what that means, but I have to have it. I'm sure that you've seen me on the news. You know, I'm the guy who spends the night, you know, at front of Southdale Mall waiting for the the opening day of the of the the new Apple Store or whatever it is that they're bringing up this time here. You know why that is? It's because. That brand new iPhone is going to make me happy for the rest of my life, right? Quiz time. Is that true or false? Oh, it's easy for you to say when it's about me, right? <laughs> but when it's your iPad or your whatever it is, whatever it is that you're sure is going to make you happy, it's the new kitchen or the new house or the, the better job, right? When it's our thing, then it's, that we're just so sure it's going to make us happy, we have a hard time seeing the folly of it. It's the old, the grass is greener, the, the old if only syndrome. If only I had this or that, if, if only I were good looking like so-and-so, if I were only as wealthy as so-and-so, if I'll, only I were married, if only I weren't married, whatever that might be, if my health were better, Finances, whatever, if only I was and you fill in the blanks, then I'd be happy. Life would be good. And until then, life's not. 
Everybody says that we just need that one thing. What it really means is we just need that one thing more. So what's your one thing? We see it in this story that I just read, the story of Ahab. We see this vineyard that he wants, and the problem is that Naboth, the owner of the vineyard, he doesn't want to sell it. And the reason is because way back in the book of Leviticus, God says that every Israelite should have at least one little small tract of land, a patch of land, and that that land could not be sold to anyone outside the family. And if it was sold, then every 50 years, that that piece of land had to be reverted back to the original owner, to the original family. Just a side note, this, this is a great example, I think, of how God's laws were not meant to mess up our lives, to, to, to wreck our lives, but rather to enhance them, to make them great. Because if this one law had been observed, obeyed, then there, there would not have been the poverty in Israel and none of the social unrest that often comes with it. And so Naboth, by refusing, is simply obeying God. He's simply obeying God. The real question is, why does Ahab even want this land in the first place? He's, the one, he's one of the most successful kings in Israel's history, at least according to world standards. Biggest palace. He won all of his wars. He's married to the beautiful Jezebel. She was a problem, but she was beautiful. Guys, uh, this happens to guys sometimes, you know. Well, anyway, he had everything that he possibly could want, right? Except, except for this peasant's little vineyard. And because he doesn't have it, he's miserable. Isn't that human nature? It's the rare person who, when their cup is overflowing, doesn't complain about the size of the cup. Pastor John Ortberg calls this the happy meal syndrome. He says that when, when his kids were really young, they were convinced that, that um, they had a McDonald's-shaped vacuum in their souls. They, they always wanted a happy meal. You know, and of course you know what a happy meal is, just some food in a plastic toy. Some marketing genius at McDonald's called it the happy meal. So you're not just buying food. You're buying happiness. It's the meal of great joy, Right? And so he would buy this Happy Meal for his kids, and it would make them happy for about a minute and a half. And then the happy wears off. That's the problem. The happy just wears off. You, you never hear of a young adult who comes back home from college and says to, to, turns to his parents and say, Mom, Dad, remember that Happy Meal you bought me back when I was eight? It, it has brought me eternal, everlasting joy. There's no more need for therapy, Right? Never happens. The happy wears off, and, and we're always wanting something else, something more. And if we don't get it, we're miserable. And so now we look back at, at poor Ahab in this story, when, when he couldn't get his vineyard, when he couldn't get his hands on that one thing that he was coveting. It says Ahab went home sullen and angry. He lay on his bed sulking and refused to eat. Wow. That's what happens when... When we live in this perpetual, if only I had this or that state. If we always live in that, we get miserable. We get miserable because it's, it's endless disappointment. Because, because there's always that one thing that we want. The grass is always greener on the other side. 
Unless, until we get to the other side, over the fence, and we realize that it's not grass, but it's astroturf. So Ahab's wife, Jezebel, she says to him, What's the matter, sweetie? Why are you so down? Why you won't eat? And he answers, of course, he's because, because I said to Naboth, sell me the vineyard, but he wouldn't sell me the vineyard. <laughs> and so Jezebel, she said, oh, come on. Look at you. You call yourself a king? Crying out loud, my gosh. I mean, this is, this is the behavior befitting a king? Get up. Get some lunch. Start acting like the man you're supposed to be. I'll deal with this Naboth. We know who pushes the button in that family. And we're told what happens next. She asks some elders to get some false witnesses to testify against Naboth to say that he cursed God and the king. And they stone him to death as a traitor. And so now Naboth's land is reverted to the king. And so Ahab gets what he wants, but at a huge cost. So here's the problem with the if-onlys. It wrecks our relationships because we start running over people and we try to get what we want that way. Whether it's a family member or a friend or a, or a co-worker, a neighbor, we start running over folks to get what we want. Or we resent people for what they have. And our relationships begin to fall apart. Millard Fuller, the founder of Habitat for Humanity, was talking to a group of pastors once. And and he asked them this simple question. He says, do you think it's possible to be too rich? Is it possible, for instance, he said, to have a house that's so big that it's sinful? And most of the pastors says, "Uh, yeah, sure. So then he asked this question. He says, at exactly what square footage does that happen? How big does it need to be before it's sinful? There's silence, of course. And then finally one guy said, when it's bigger than my house. (laughs) That's what envy does. We start to resent others, right? We, We run over people to get what we want. We destroy our relationships. So how do we get out of this? What's the what's the freedom? What's the way to freedom from this if only syndrome? The Apostle Paul, quite simply in Philippians 4, states it this way. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstance. I don't know about you, but that kind of freedom really sounds attractive to me. No matter what, he says, I'm content. No matter what, I have joy. That is absolute freedom. How do we get there? Well, two things for today. The first is gratitude. Whenever I need an attitude adjustment, I have a real simple solution. I just hang out with my friends, my other friends who are pastors in other churches. That's all it takes for me to realize and to remember how good I have it here. We're not perfect here by any means. We have a lot of the same issues that that every church deals with, that every Christian deals with. We're not always making the budget. Maybe attendance has slipped this year from last year or the year before. Sometimes people complain about stuff, often for good reasons. But you know, every month, twice a month on Tuesdays here at CPC, the staff comes together downstairs in the fellowship hall, and we come together for fellowship, for for prayer. 
We catch up with each other, compare notes. It's just a, a way of, of listing a few of the good things that are happening in our community here at CPC. You know, it's really interesting because, because I know how, how stressed out I sometimes get with all of the things that I just know are not going to get accomplished. And I find myself sometimes asking the question, is this the best use of, of time? To have another meeting at what can seem to be a life of endless meetings. And then I walk into that fellowship hall downstairs and I remember, I remember why I love this place. I remember why I love those Tuesdays because I get to spend time hanging out with friends where, where we laugh together and we, we break bread together and we share stories. We share all kinds of stories. You know, one month it might be about a couple whose marriage has been restored from the brink of divorce. Or maybe one of the pastors talks about an email that they received where someone actually liked the sermon that they preached. Or about a person whose, whose life has been transformed by, by going on a mission trip. As we do this, as we, we retell those stories and recount those, those, those stories, as we do this, uh, you can just feel this sense of, of relief in, in the room. It's like, like we're walking through a, a parking lot, 95-degree temperatures, and walk into an air-conditioned room. That's how it feels like. Life has its challenges, but life is never 100% awful. It could be 98%, maybe, but not 100%. What gratitude does is it focuses us on what's good. It's, it, it, it reminds us that even when, when life is bad, and it is that way sometimes, when life is bad, it reminds us that God is good. Not just sometimes, not just when someone reminds him to be, not just on special occasions. God is good all the time. Amen. So what are you truly, genuinely grateful for today? Not in some Pollyanna kind of a way, but genuinely grateful for. I can tell you what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for a ton of stuff. I'm grateful for a spouse, for example, who after 24 years still wakes up in the morning and looks over at me and doesn't think that she made a terrible mistake. I'm grateful for kids who, even though they have gone through their phases, even though they, they put us through hell during those transitional years between adolescence and adulthood, they love God now and are trying to figure out how to make their faith count in their context, in their world. I'm grateful to be part of this awesome community of disciples where we're doing our best to, to serve the world, whether it's here in the Twin Cities or, or around the world in far-flung places. And friends, I'm grateful for the 58-year legacy of Roger and Dottie Anderson, who we got the honor last night of, of, uh, of praying with as we dedicated Anderson Hall, formerly known as Room 204. You've got to go check it out. It's amazing. And in my best moments, friends, I'm grateful that God loved me, a sinner, enough to die for me. When I start to make that list, I start to feel a lot more joy, a lot less if-onlys. Because life starts to feel pretty good. Gratitude 
It does the body good. Second way out of the if-onlys is to find contentment. Don't sell your vineyard for a vegetable garden. Don't sell your strawberry patch for a parking lot. King Ahab wants Naboth's vineyard to turn it into a vegetable garden. Nothing wrong with a vegetable garden. But think about it. Vineyards take years and years to cultivate. And the older it gets, the better it gets. So Ahab wants to to wipe out Naboth's years of cultivating for something of short-term gain. And that's what the if-onlys do. They they cause us to sacrifice long-term gains for short-term wants. For instance, if you're single and want to be married, being married is a good thing. But don't get so focused on that that you neglect to invest in the friendships that you already have, that you actually have. That's sacrificing the vineyard for a vegetable garden. Or maybe you really want that promotion or the career success, and and you want it so badly that you start working these ungodly hours to the extent that you don't even know your kids anymore. And so then as they become adults, they tell you that they don't feel close to you, or maybe they don't even do that, they just don't show up for Christmas. That's sacrificing the vineyard for a vegetable garden. What are the long-term things that can make us actually, truly happy? A couple of things, and both of them can be boiled down to the word connection. Connection to God. Connection to others in authentic ways that, that are, that where we are accepted just the way we are. God's been saying these things for thousands of years. There's lots of really good stuff in the Bible if we only read it and live it. That's why we're calling this hidden gems. Having that new job, the new house, being better looking or whatever won't make us happy. We think it will, but it won't. Connection to God and connection to others where, where we're loved and appreciated and, and, and accepted for who we are. That's what gives us lasting joy. That's the vineyard. That's the long-term thing. Focus on that and you won't have a string of if-onlys. Now, some of you, I imagine for, for you, this is hard to hear. For some of you, you're really in hard places. There are those things that you're yearning for that just don't seem to be materializing. You've gone through painful stuff. But if we get too focused, so focused on wanting God to fix that specific thing, we can miss the long-term value of what he's doing through it. So can I offer just a couple of action steps as I close? Something to carve out uh, in this week here. Can you carve out two hours? It's not much. Two hours of your time this week to invest in and deepen your connection to God and someone you care about. Have coffee with a friend, maybe a date night with your spouse. Spend time imagining Jesus sitting next to you face to face like this. Maybe not like this, but you know, just as a friend. That's the one thing. The second thing is to to write out a list. Sometimes that's really helpful. It's been helpful for me. Just make a list of the things that you're genuinely thankful for. You know that picture that I um, uncovered of uh, me and Andrea 20 years ago in that shirt of mine? Well, that got me thinking about, about some things. It got me thinking about 
a time in my life when things were way less complicated. Those earliest years of, of our marriage in, in, the, in our mid-20s, you know, when, when um, you know, sometimes I refer to those years as the golden years. No kids, no, no minivan, no, no, you know, everything was, you know, no mortgage at the time, easy jobs, almost no bills to pay. We ate out a lot. We actually went to Hawaii twice in six months during that time. I mean, it was crazy. But you know what? If somebody were to come to me today and say, hey, if I could use a magic wand and make those golden years permanent, would you want that? And I can say unequivocally, with no hesitation, that I would never want to go back to that. Because I wouldn't have my kids. I wouldn't have my relationships with you. I feel connected to people that I love. I feel a deep gratitude for the long-term vineyard that God has been cultivating in my life. So I don't need some magic wand to, to take me back to those golden years and make it permanent. I'm blessed right here where I am at. Now, if somebody wanted to give me those golden years for a two-week vacation, that would be fine. You could send me to Hawaii, but just not permanently. So what are you chasing? Just so sure that it's going to make you happy at least until five days after you get it. Instead, this week, will you pay attention to what really you're grateful for? Because you see, by, by trying to convince you that, that you can't be happy unless X, Y, and Z thing happens, what the devil is trying to do is he's trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your inheritance. He's trying to steal your peace, and he's trying to steal your victory. He's trying to steal your vineyard. Don't let him. Be like Naboth in this story and say, my vineyard is not for sale. My joy is not for sale. My, my connection to Jesus and others is not for sale. And I will not sacrifice it to get focused on some happy meal of a desire that will not ultimately bring me joy. Because I know that even when things are at their hardest, my Heavenly Father is going to, to give me hope. He's going to give me peace. He's going to give me strength and confidence and power and joy. And, and He's going to bless me. Not when I arrive somewhere, not when I achieve something, not when, when I get this and, and find that, not some other time, not some other place, not some other life, not if I just had, not if I just got. My Father in heaven will bless me right here, right now, right where I'm at. I'm not going to settle for a happy meal when, when, when I've been given the promise of an eternal banquet. I don't need to go somewhere else to get it because my father makes house calls. He delivers. As Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. The banquet, the banquet that God has set aside for you and for me is a banquet that's prepared out of love and sacrifice And Jesus describes this banquet in the Gospel of Luke when he says that people will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the table of God. That is the table that's been set for you and for me. 
Amen.